Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you here. Good morning to those of you joining us online. As we begin this morning, I want to uh, share a little revelation that came to me when I was doing my Banding Together journal on Friday morning. Uh, We were starting a new month, and it just so happened that we were also starting a new book of the Bible. And so when I looked at the uh, outline, because we we talk about these all the time, they include a scripture reading plan that gets you in God's Word every day. So you read a chapter or two per day, and it was Mark chapter 1. And something just clicked in my mind. It's like, hey, I think there's like 16 chapters, and Easter is on April 17th. That's, that's kind of an interesting little thing. I know every Christmas, I try to make a point to let people know that if you start reading the Gospel of Luke on December 1st, you'll finish it on December 24th, and you'll get the whole Gospel as you kind of head into, into Christmas. And this year is kind of special because Easter is on April 17th. That means that if you start reading the Gospel of Mark today, and you you got a little catching up to do, you'll have an extra five, ten minutes to read, to catch up, to get through Mark 3 today. And then you read a chapter each day going forward. You'll actually read about the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday. You'll read about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on Good Friday. You can take a day off on Saturday when Jesus was in the grave, and then you'll read about the resurrection on on April 17th this year. And I, I threw that out in the first service and one person who's kind of a mathematician said, you know, that was also going to happen in 2028 and 2023 because of the lunar thing. And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't happen very often. And that's my point. And so don't miss this opportunity because as I had that revelation, then I read the first few verses of Mark chapter 1. And in verse 3, he's quoting John the Baptist who's declaring to the people, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, and I realized what better way for us as God's people to prepare our hearts, to prepare the way of the Lord in our own lives, than to read the gospel and read and reflect and think about all that it means and all that it points us to this Easter. So I hope that you'll join me on that. If you're so inspired, you can pick up one of these journals. We have them in a little kiosk over by our our main office area. You can pick one of these up and you can actually spend some time journaling and going through what we call a SOAP journal, Scripture Observation Application Prayer, S-O-A-P. You can do this for five or ten minutes. You can take half an hour and fill several pages, however you feel the Lord leading you in the time that you have. But this is a great way to center our lives on Christ and on his word each day. So I hope you'll join me in that because Easter is right around the corner. In fact, it's, it's just two weeks from today, that we have the opportunity to come together and to celebrate the most monumental event in the course of human history. I don't believe that's an understatement when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is what we celebrate on Easter morning. We have an opportunity to celebrate that together. So you've been hearing about all that's going on. There's a flurry of activity every year around Easter and around what we call Holy Week, which is that week leading up to Easter kind of begins officially next Sunday with the Palm Sunday and and the triumphal entry. We'll be having our children with us in this worship service next week. So you might want to get here a little bit early so you don't miss uh, the kids with the palm branches. Um, But we're actually encouraging you to join us in preparing for Easter and for Holy Week by coming to our 24 hours of prayer this Friday and Saturday on the 8th and 9th, so the Friday and Saturday before Holy Week. We want to lay the groundwork and set a foundation of prayer for everything that takes place in our own hearts and in our congregation. And we're asking you to sign up 
and be a part of the 24 hours of prayer. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby and that, that black table right in the middle of the lobby. You can sign up there on a piece of paper or you can go to our events page in the app or online and pick a time. My hope and my prayer leading up to this is that every single section, we've broken it down into 30-minute sections, every single section would have multiple people from Linwood coming and praying and lifting up the needs that they have in their own lives, lifting up the needs in our congregation, lifting up our Holy Week services and the opportunity to share the best news ever, lifting up the, the events that are taking place around us in our community, in our nation, and in our world. If you're thinking, how would I actually sit and pray for a half an hour or an hour? We'll have some resources for you. There'll be prayer guides. Uh, we'll have a special prayer guide this time that, that will have prayer suggestions or prayer prompts from each of our ministries, from each of the areas in the church. So you can literally go on like a, a mental prayer walk through our church and pray for all that's going to be taking place. There'll be other prayer guides that can help you focus even breaking down that time into to five-minute chunks or, or if you're here for half an hour, a two-and-a-half-minute chunk. If you're, if you're like me, I block out an hour or two and it just flies by. And uh, that's my hope and prayer is that we as a church would be growing in prayer. So please do sign up. If you sign up online, you'll get an email with some information. If you sign up here in the lobby, make sure you grab one of these door information cards. We've got them sitting on the table there. They'll tell you how to get in here in the middle of the night or how to get in here after hours so that we can provide a secure place to pray. You don't have to worry about uh, the doors being unlocked while you're in here alone or anything like that. So pick one of these up if you sign up in person. Um, and then that will have the instructions for you. So that's how we're going to kick everything off. And then leading up to Easter, we talk about Monday, Thursday. That's the Thursday before Easter. That's when Jesus celebrated the, the, the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper uh, with his disciples just before he was betrayed. We'll have a Monday, Thursday service here uh, in the sanctuary uh, at 6.30 on Thursday night leading into Easter. That will be followed by an optional foot washing service. So if you come at 6.30, we'll sing some hymns. We'll have a meditation or a reflection on Monday, Thursday and what Jesus was sharing with his disciples. Um, and we'll participate in communion again. And then following that, there'll be an opportunity for those that would like to stay to go and to uh, participate in a foot washing service, which we did several years ago deeply, deeply moving experience of identifying with Christ and with his disciples through the observance of washing of feet. So you're invited to be a part of that. Then on Friday, Good Friday, we'll have a, a come and go reflective prayer service. So it's just for you to come between six and eight. There'll be a, a separate prayer guide for that that takes you through kind of almost the stations of the cross, those last events of Christ's life and and reading those scriptures and reflecting upon the significance of them to us. And then on Easter Sunday at 9 and 10.30, we'll have our, our Easter celebration. We'll celebrate the resurrection together. We encourage you to come and be a part of that. If you're, if you're able to come to the first service, I'll tell those of you in here, this service is filling a bit. Um, that first service will have a little bit more space, especially if you have a lot of visitors and guests, and so you, we want there to be space for everybody. So if there are a few people that can come to that early service, that would be outstanding. Um, so as we set our sights on the as resurrection, keep in mind, we really do have the best news ever, and we should share it with as many people as possible, and we should invite people to be a part of that. 
All right, so as we begin this morning, I actually want to start with a little game of, of true and false. Now, you guys have been doing so well these last couple of weeks with the, the hand raising, okay? So get your hands ready. Everybody stretch. If you have a hand, raise your hand. There's a few people that do not have hands. Interesting. I didn't realize that. All right, so you've gotten some practice. The way this is going to work, if you believe that the statement, and these are all statements that are about me, so you two are excluded because you know me a little too well, so you don't get to play, um, but... For the rest of you, if you think the statement is true, raise your hand, and if you think the statement is false, just keep your hand down, all right? First statement, my first car was a Buick Century. Anybody think that's true? A few people think that's true. You must not think I was very hip in high school, right? Yeah, well, there's a few people who are in the first service that I didn't exclude them specifically, so you don't get to play either anymore. That is true. My first car was a metallic tan Buick Century. It was awesome. I think it kept me out of a lot of trouble. It was good in that regard. Second statement. If you believe this statement is true, raise your hand. I have never been to Boston, Massachusetts. Anybody think that's true? A few people think that's true. Most of you think I'm a pretty good traveler. And, and you would be right if you believe that statement to be false. I got to go to Boston my senior year of high school. It was part of a history trip, um, and it was great, and I had a blast. It wasn't in the fall. For those of you that are VeggieTales lovers, I didn't get to go to Boston in the fall, but I got to go in the spring, and it was beautiful. Next statement. I had moderate to severe pyromania as a child. Pyromania being sort of the love of fire. There's some people, hands shot up right away. You think, yeah, he wants to see it burn, right? You guys are about 50-50 on that one. This one is also true. I had, some people might say moderate doesn't have any place in that. I, I just, whatever it was, I wanted to see if it burned. And if it burned, I wanted to see what happened when a lot of it burned. And so I was always feeding the fire and I was always, you know, running these little experiments. So I did have some moderate to severe pyromania as a kid. Last one. My favorite musician growing up was Garth Brooks. Raise your hand if you think that's true. Only a few hands go up. This one is true. Ask my mom when you see her after service. I could sing the entire first three albums of Garth Brooks like a jukebox. Just tell me which one you want and I'll sing them. I think it kind of went downhill after that. That's my personal opinion. But yes, I was very much a Garth Brooks Fan. Now that was a little bit of fun and that was a little lighthearted and you learned some things about me. But imagine if the stakes were a little higher on that little experiment. Imagine if your answer to those questions, those true or false questions, was a matter of life and death. Wouldn't it be pretty frustrating if you had no way of knowing the answer to those questions and yet you have to figure it out somehow? It's basically a roll of the dice, it's 50 50. Aren't you thankful? that our Heavenly Father loved us enough to reveal Himself to us. I've mentioned this before. I really believe that the first act of love that God gave to humanity was to reveal Himself to them. He did not have to do that. He chose to do that. He chose to reveal Himself to humanity. He chose to enter into covenants with humans, with us, to make obligations to us out of love. He chose to reveal Himself. He didn't leave us to our own devices, and he didn't have to reveal himself to us. He chose to. And so as we continue our series, the best news ever, as we focus, really laser focus on this 
good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this best news ever, that the one true God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he exists, that God exists and has existed forever and will exist forever as this community of divine love, and that he invites us to be a part of that and to join him on his mission to bring the whole world into that community of divine love. That's what we're talking about. So last week, we started a three-week sort of focus or emphasis on Jesus's declaration in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. So last week we looked at that Jesus Christ is the way to God, that no one comes to the Father except through him, that he is the gate, that we enter through the narrow gate and we walk the narrow path with Jesus. Jesus Christ is the way to God. Today we're focusing on the second section of that statement, that Jesus Christ is the truth, the truth of God. That's our bottom line today, much like last week's bottom line, Jesus Christ is the way to God. Today, Jesus Christ is the truth of God. And we're going to see all that that means and and try to unpack that as much as we can. But this is a critically important subject because we live in a world that is in desperate need of truth. And many of them don't even realize it. Many of the people don't realize how desperately they need the truth. And so while we say our bottom line, you know, Jesus Christ is the truth of God, you say, well, that's pretty simple. Don't allow the simplicity of it to detract from the profundity of it. It is so profound. It is such a profound truth and it's such an important truth. And so that's why we're focusing on it today. Because as we read in our, in our passage here, you'll see that Jesus didn't just answer the immediate question. He added to that. He explained that a little further and really shows us something about himself in this. So as we've been doing, we're going to read John 14, 1 through 7 and see how this all sort of fits together. But this will be our launch pad today. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. From now on, I'm sorry, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So as I foreshadowed a little bit, the question that Thomas has has to do with the way. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus doesn't just answer that, saying, I am the way. He adds to it. He says, not only am I the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Now, truth is a a theme in John's gospel, and as we're going to see as we move through this, that John spends more time talking about the truth and this idea that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is full of grace and truth, that Jesus shows us God's truth and his truth will set us free. Truth pops up over and over in John's gospel. But I don't want to just quote scripture to you today because when we go outside of these walls, even though we believe that God's word is true, 
And we have chosen as a core value here at Linwood to center our lives on God's Word, that we will center our lives on God's Word. That's why I'm always encouraging you to be reading God's Word, interacting with God's Word, engaging in Scripture on a regular basis. We believe that, but the people out there don't believe that. So if all we have to prove that Jesus is the truth is what Jesus said about himself, there are a lot of people out there that will not receive that. They will say, do you have anything outside of this Bible that I'm not quite sure I believe is true that shows me that Jesus is the truth? Because there's a really common idea today, I talked about this a little bit last week, that, that there are many truths, that there are many potential ways to God, that religious pluralism, that there are plurality of religions that will point us to God in some way and bring us salvation in some way. And we said, this is just not true. This is false. Jesus didn't say, I am a way to God. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a truth of God. He said, I am the truth of God. And so with this religious pluralism and what some sociologists or philosophers are calling postmodernism, that we kind of moved beyond the claims of modernity where there were things that you could know, now we're postmodern, there's this, it's given rise to this idea that absolute truth may or may not exist. There are people that question the validity of an absolute truth claim, or they say there's really no way that we can know, or, or they'll, they'll say things like, that might be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. That may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Have you heard this, or have you seen this with the talking heads debating on TV news and saying, well, that's not my truth, or, or that's not my, my reality? Or who are you to tell me what's right and wrong. To point it back to last week when we gave the example of going south to Omaha and being at a southbound rest area and hearing somebody say, oh yeah, we're on our way to Fargo. It's like, no, you're not. Now it makes all the sense in the world to tell somebody in a southbound rest area between Sioux Falls and, and Omaha that they're, not on their way to Omaha that they're not on their way to Fargo. We somehow get a little more cautious when somebody says that they believe that their political system or their political ideology or their religious ideology or some pantheism or some rejection of absolute truth is going to get them to God in the end. We, we pull back and I don't know if I should tell them the truth. And yet if we believe what we say we believe, if we believe that this is the best news ever, then we have to share it. We have to tell people. And so I know I've thrown around a lot of big words and we've talked about religious pluralism and postmodernism and, and moral relativism, this idea that morality is relative. That's what those statements are getting at. They're getting to this idea that there is no absolute truth and that all morality is relative. And it's getting harder and harder to level the playing field. It used to be you could come up with some horrible thing that I won't even mention in church, some horrible injustice that humans do to each other. And you say, can you agree that that is wrong? And there will be people that kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, I wouldn't want them to do it to me, but I can't say that it's absolutely wrong. And this is where that ideology takes us. It's the idea that nothing is absolutely wrong, that nothing is absolutely right. In fact, one author who I've listened to and read a number of, of things that he has written, Greg Kokel, a Christian apologist, he wrote a book on relativism, this idea that all morality is relative, and he called it feet firmly planted in midair. <laughs> that's, that's a beautiful image of the relativist ideology or that, that philosophy 
that all truth is relative, that, that your truth is no better than mine. Your feet are firmly planted in midair. You don't stand on anything. There's nothing upon which to stand. And so ironically, and we're using extra biblical evidence here, just talking about this philosophy reveals some fatal flaws to this philosophy. Because ironically, to assert that there are no absolute truth claims is an absolute truth claim. You follow me? Like, either that statement is absolutely true or it's potentially false. And so the very idea that there are no absolute truth claims, that there's no such thing as absolute truth, is itself a statement of absolute truth. And so the whole thing just kind of crumbles at the very beginning. It doesn't hold water. It doesn't hold up. And so when somebody says to you, which they often will, that you, who are you? In fact, they'll say, you're wrong to tell me what you believe is right and wrong. And just look at them for a minute and say, didn't you just tell me what you believe is right and wrong? So why am I wrong when I'm telling you the good news, the best news ever, that this world is a mess, that we've made it a mess, and that God has a solution to that mess, and that we can turn our lives over to him and to his way and spend eternity with him in his presence. Because when people tell you that you are wrong, to tell them what is right and wrong, they're telling you what they believe is right and wrong. And so the whole thing just falls apart at the very outset. In fact, Greg Kokel makes a really important point on this idea of removing God and morality, and it points to the motivation behind this. He says, relativists seem to think that if they can get rid of both morality and God, then guilt and judgment will disappear as well. It's like saying if we can eliminate hospitals, then disease and suffering will disappear too. This is foolish. You see the foolishness of it. The motivation behind this is there's so much guilt and so much condemnation around there because of this morality. So if we can just get rid of the morality and get rid of the God that stands behind that morality, then we won't have all this guilt and condemnation. It's like, no, there is disease. You do not get rid of disease by getting rid of hospitals. Hospitals are part of the solution to disease. At least they should be. And so God and his morality are part of the cure. And he has set up the gospel, and we, are, we, are, we hold these truths as the best news ever, that, that Jesus Christ is the truth, the truth of God. And so we can see that this is the kind of nonsense that develops. When you start saying there is no such thing as absolute truth, you can't even say that that statement is true. And when you say that it's wrong for somebody to tell you that it's right and wrong— what is right and wrong, that is also doing what you've just said you're not to do. And so the whole thing falls apart, and we see that absolute truth absolutely does exist. And it holds water. In fact, absolute truth has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that is the declaration that is being made here, and that is why it is so important that we understand this. Absolute truth absolutely does exist. And it's good news. Because Jesus and God are one. We talked about that in week one. Jesus declares that he and the Father are one, that they are one and the same, and that the Holy Spirit is an expression of God, of Jesus and God the Father that comes in us and guides us towards him. And because Jesus Christ is the truth of God, which is our bottom line today, then we can be certain that there's no truth apart from God. 
If there's no truth, if it sets itself up in conflict with God, it's not true. Because he is true. And that all holds together. That all holds together. God's system of morality, his system of truth and of reality holds together. So anything contrary to the truths of God that we have here is false. And that's why it's so important that we know what these truths are, that we know we have the truth and we have the opportunity to know the truth. I forgot to mention this in the first service. You guys are getting a little extra credit today. I've told this example before, but did you know when they're training U.S. Treasury agents to spot counterfeits? So these are people that work for the United States Treasury and they go around and they find counterfeit money. Do you know what they spend the first six months doing? Studying the real money, the real currency, studying every single aspect of all the bills so that they know them inside and out. Because when you know the truth, you can identify the counterfeit pretty quickly. They don't start showing them how people make counterfeit money and how they can spot the differences until they've immersed themselves and are so acquainted with the truth. And yet the vast majority of Christians, the vast majority of people who say they're following Jesus and have responded in faith to the gospel don't know the truth very well. They don't spend time in God's word. That's why I talk about this all the time because this puts the New Testament into you every year and puts the Old Testament into you every four years. And if you want to read more, you can read more. If you want to be a part of other studies, you can be a part of other studies. But this familiarizes yourself with the truth so that you can spot the counterfeits. And so not only is Jesus Christ the truth of God, he is the full manifestation of God's truth. When he says, I am not just the way, I am the truth. I am the truth of God. He's saying, I'm the full representation of God's truth. I am truth in human form. I am truth personified. And so we see this at the beginning of John's gospel. In those opening verses of John's gospel, perhaps you're familiar with them. The first 18 verses of John 1 are really sort of a, a prelude, an introduction And then he gets into the historical narrative, but they're telling us why this matters. He's telling us why this is such a big deal. And so he says something very, very important in John 1, 1 through 5 that I want to read to you. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well. But he says, in the beginning was the Word. He's talking about Jesus, the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. And so here he's making a declaration about Jesus, that he is the preexistent. He existed before all things, that he was not created, that Jesus was there at the beginning of creation, that Jesus and God are one, and the Holy Spirit, all the way back in Genesis 1-2, they're all present. And all things were made through Christ. All things were made through him. He is the source of all things. And towards the end of this section, he makes a really important declaration about Jesus. In verse 14, he says, The word, Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the glory of the only begotten of God, who came from the Father full of grace. And truth. It's 
very important statement about Jesus and who he was, that he came, the person of Jesus, the human being of Jesus that walked around on this earth, God with us, about 2,000 years ago, that he was God in a human body, and that he was all the things that God is in a human form, that he was full of grace and truth. Grace is that unmerited favor of God, that he was full to the brim of that. To say he was full of grace and truth doesn't mean that he was a half full of grace and half full of truth, and so when you put them together, they're full. No, he was full to the brim of grace, and he was full to the brim of truth. There was no room for error or falseness. He was totally genuine, entirely sincere, absolutely authentic in every single way. His life was an expression, a proclamation of the truth of God, of the love of God, of the grace of God. In fact, the Greek word that we translate as truth is aletheia, and it's synonymous with reality. So it's basically saying he was full of reality. Or what we might say today, Jesus was the real deal. He was the real deal. There was nothing false about him. There was nothing untrue about him. There were no inaccuracies. There was no deception. And so why this matters so much is that to back up just a little bit, to reject the presence of absolute truth when Jesus declared that he is the truth of God is to reject Jesus and to reject God. So it's all interconnected. This all matters a great deal. And when people reject the presence of absolute truth, they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting God. And Paul has a very strong warning from Romans chapter 2, verse 8, where he says, For those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And that's the bad news. That's the bad news. That if you are self-seeking and you reject the truth, there will be wrath and anger. But here's the good news. Again from John. Here's the best news ever. From John 1, 9 through 12. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. This is for everyone. This is the true light. Not a false light. But the true light that gives light to every man. He was in the world. We're still talking about Jesus. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. To the, the Jewish people. To the Hebrew people. The covenant people of God. But his own did not receive him. And here's the best part. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To become children, and if children, heirs. To be heirs of God, to be a part of the family of God. That God is Father, Jesus is Brother, Holy Spirit. That's all working together in that family of God. He gives us the right to do that. So the question as our, as our worship team comes back up to, to continue to lead us, the question today, the most important question today is, have you believed in his name? Have you received him? Have you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you received his truth? Have you acknowledged that it's true? Have you accepted the gift of grace through faith? Have you turned your life over to that? Because if not, then today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day when you understand the truth, when you receive the truth, when you believe in the name of Jesus.
It can be the day that you become a child of God. So whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online, today can be that day for you. And if you've drifted, if you've wandered away, today can be the day that you turn around and come back. Or if you're not 100% sure, today can be the day that you become certain that you are a child of God. Today could be the day that you make a decision that you're going to go on record, that you're going to make a public profession of your faith, that you're going to be baptized on Easter Sunday, and that you're going to tell the whole world, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and I intend to follow him all the days of my life. So I encourage you, if that's true, if that's your truth, if you believe the truth, and you have received the truth, and you have believed the truth, and tell somebody, Tell everybody, tell everybody, I've got the best news ever for you. And I love you enough to share it. As we've mentioned with the baptism on Easter Sunday, if you have questions about baptism, if you'd like to get some of the logistics a little more settled in your mind, if you want to be a part of that, we'll be having a baptism class after church next Sunday. Somebody said I can't be there next Sunday, so we're going to be having a little short, little one after church today. If you can't be here next Sunday, but you want to be baptized on Easter Sunday, then just come down front after this service, and, and we'll go through it uh, right here today. But don't, don't wait. Don't hold back. Wherever you are, wherever you are on the whole spiritual continuum from no belief whatsoever to sold out, wholehearted, open-handed belief, what's your next step? Does it involve responding to the best news ever for yourself? Does it involve sharing the best news ever for someone else? Does it involve proclaiming the best news ever with your life? Let us be a people who take our next step. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word and we are grateful for your truth, that you are truth and that you did not leave us in some cosmic game of true and false where we're not going to know if we're right until the end, that you revealed yourself, that you said you love us, that you desire to be in relationship with us, and that you would even leave heaven behind to come to earth to live a perfect life sinless death, to be that perfect sacrifice to redeem all humanity for all time. For those, Lord, that that are feeling drawn by your spirit to respond in faith to that message, to say, I believe the truth, to confess that we are sinners in need of grace, in need of mercy, and that you have abundantly provided for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray for those that will confess, that will surrender their lives to you, that will invite you to lead them and guide them in a daily relationship. For those of us that are walking that road with you, Lord, show us who you want us to share this with. Show us who you want us to tell the best news ever. And may we be quick to take whatever step you set before us. In Jesus' name we pray.